Hello everyone, welcome back. Today we have the third book in the Lady Trip series, and I'm really excited about this one. I delayed it a little bit, but I'm ready to talk about it, and I'm just so psyched. Uh, this, this is the book that finally pushed me into, yeah, this is the series for me. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, the second book was kind of a little slow at places, and yeah, it had its moments, but oh, The Voyage of the Basilisk is just the perfect level for what I wanted from this series. So, um, for those of you who don't know, this is the third series in a book, well, it's the third book in a series that starts with A Natural History of Dragons by Maria Brennan. Um, it's about a dragon biologist and her journey to understand the uh, somewhat mysterious biology and nature of dragons and to study them like no one else has before. She's writing these memoirs years later after having become famous for her research, and we are going through her journey from her childhood all the way through her life and all its major events. Um, it's played in sort of a pseudo-fantastical world that's heavily based on real-world cultures and real-world locations, but takes its own liberties, especially with the dragons, which are the main difference in this world, though there are also sea serpents and several other minor fantastical creatures. Most of them relate to dragons or similar enough to dragons that you question them. Uh, we haven't run into anything too different from dragons as a whole, aside from the sea serpents, but even them, well, that's, that's what we're talking about partially in this series book, so. <laughs> um, anyway, there is a pseudo arms race going on, because during an expedition in the first book, they discovered that they could preserve dragon bones. Uh, if you, by the way, if you haven't read the first book, just go read the first book. Uh, read the second book too, I guess, it's okay. Uh, and then go back and read this book, because you deserve to read this fresh. This is really good stuff. Um, <laughs> so we follow her, uh, we, so we follow Lady Trent on her new voyage. See, they need to do more research on potentially figuring out a way to synthesize dragon bone, you know, study more cultures and their relationship with dragons, figure out, uh, you know, maybe dissect a few more species and learn the differences in the species to try and progress their work forward. They're also trying to deal with the arms race that's coming from the fact that their secrets recently got stolen. The second book and now their worst fears are going to pass, and people are hunting dragons for their lightweight dragon bones that are stronger than iron. Uh, the new resource that everyone wants, and they're willing to hunt an entire species to extinction to get it. You run into that here as well. And yeah, so this voyage is basically her, like, famous voyage, apparently. The memoir stated as, like, this is the thing she's really, really, really known for in uh, her world. Um, so they go on a worldwide tour of all these famous dragon places, starting with the um, Northern Sea Serpents, Southern Sea Serpents, uh, the Quetzalcoatls, which are like the Southern American style, Feathered Serpents. Uh, then we have, oh, what was it? Uh, the, um, oh yeah, the Southern Sea Serpents. We eventually get to like the Southern Sea Serpents down in um, these like, I want to say like, kind of like Pacific Islands kind of, you know, uh, area. Not like, quite, but it's a different enough culture that I don't think it's quite on board. Uh, they have, you know, the whole Forbidden Islands, different types, that kind of thing. It's actually really exciting, and I'm just so on board for it, to be honest. Uh, it was a really refreshing journey. She ends up bringing her son along, who ends up taking to the sea. Um, there's this whole start at the beginning where he starts, like, causing trouble and being really bored, but he ends up getting, like, really interested in, like, the ship's life and being a sailor. Uh, and at first she doesn't get it, but, like, halfway through... 
uh, the first the, f- the first act basically she starts suddenly realizes that the passion that her parents didn't understand in her when it came to dragons uh, she's seeing that same passion in her son so she encourages his behavior as long as he you know behaves he ends up causing trouble and having to repent for it and that kind of thing so uh, it was really interesting seeing her dynamic with her kid because we had spent the whole first book of him not being born and then the second book of he's a baby being left behind while she goes on this expedition everybody's getting mad at her for it. Uh, so it was nice to see that dynamic. We also get more of her partner, uh, you know, her scientific partner, uh, helping her out in this. Although he's not actually in this book as much as I thought he'd be. Uh, that's partially because they released, introduced a new guy about halfway through. Uh, he's this new archaeologist. Uh, what was his name? Um, Suhail. That was his name, Suhail. Uh, so he's basically like an archaeologist trying to study the Draconian ruins. And they were a civilization that apparently <clears throat> was believed to have ties to dragons. Um, and you know what? I think it's pretty cool. Especially the way they weaved it together and the reveal of like the valuable mineral they apparently had called the Firestones, which are believed to have some kind of relation to dragons, but it's very unclear. It might just be a mythology of the Draconians. Well, it's revealed, like, all of the plot points of previous books, the uh, Draconian Ruins she found in the second book, the Firestones that seem to have been prevalent, the Draconian Ruins in the first book, all kind of come home to roost along with the preservation methods of dragons. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the book, I'm going to, you know, avoid spoilers on those kind of plot points for a while, but needless to say, the archaeologist gets a decent amount to do, um, and I really hope he comes back because he had a fun dynamic with her. And, uh, yeah, they were just fun. Uh, they both had this, you know, unwavering scientific passion and the way they bounced off each other, trading theories as their fields, you know, they went back and forth between their own fields, both sort of interested in the other's field, um, and slowly testing their boundaries. He apparently has kind of a mysterious past. Uh, so yeah. Uh, one of the things I really think did this book, did, did me for this book was, that it's not just, like, one place. We don't go to one place and fully explore it like we did in the second book. We do get a decent amount in each place we visit, but we visit, like, three or four different locations uh, throughout this whole book. It depends on if you count the location they get kind of expelled from, uh, but, you know, teaches us more about the dragon bone as new material plot. And um, I kind of liked it, because one of the big problems I had in the second book was, without the overwhelming mystery of the first book, that, you know, the conspiracy mystery... And the initial expedition in her childhood, there was sort of just like a lack of stuff going on for a huge section of the second book. So I liked that we were jumping from one exciting place to the next, going through this journey, getting shipwrecked, learning about new dragons. Um, it was all just a lot of fun. It was exactly what I came here for, listening to Isabella Trent, late, um, Miss, Miss Isabella Trent, uh, going through all her theories on draconic biology and then trying to mix it later on with Sue Hale's theories about draconic about the Draconian's potential taming methods and her own theories on that and the uh, potential that dragons weren't avian, they were reptilian, because that's an argument she's having with her colleagues. And I just loved it. And there's this whole scene about how she uh, creates this, uh, a theory that she really believes in about the serpents and their, uh, the way they've evolved differently in the north and southern regions. One region, the uh, southern region can shoot uh, water blast and the northern region can't. And she writes a theory about it and publishes in their paper. She sends it off uh, to the publishing group. And she later realizes halfway through the expedition that her theory is wrong and discovers the actual reason why they're different. Uh, but the problem is 
she can't retract her statement in time, and so she gets this theory published, and she talks about how, like, she was an idiot back then, she should have waited and confirmed her findings and verified her research, and she was just reckless and foolish and excited by the new possibilities and needed to share it, uh, and she's like, I don't know, if I can go do that back, I would undo that in a heartbeat. And I'm like, okay, so she's made some stupid mistakes, um... Yeah, so she ends up kind of salvaging her reputation with this, uh, getting her research further along, and we start uncovering the overall mystery of this world. Uh, it's a fun book. Characters are interesting. The sea captain is uh, kind of a riot. He's like this, I am I am the lord of the ship, and you will not cross me here. But also kind of a little crazy. <laughs> Uh, the different locales we get to uh, visit are all interesting. You know, the frigid northern waters where they actually fight a sea serpent, uh, the, you know, Mayan, st- Mayan slash Aztec style, Quetzalcoatl, Dracodian ruins that they visit and meet Zuhail at, uh, the dragons are being hunted to extinction in this one area, so this imperialist nation can increase their supply of dragon bone, because they have the recipe to preserve it and use it for uh, construction, their, you know, things they're making with it. There's a lot of fleshed out stuff in this world that just makes me like, oh, I wish there was even more of it. Like, I wish we had, like, uh, you know, a war story here. I wish we had, like, more into this world from every potential angle. Because everyone also mentioned, and you can find more about this in such and such book. And I'm like, that book doesn't exist. It's an entirely fictional book. Give us real books we can dive into for this knowledge. I want to know more. Ugh. It just... I, you really feel like you're going on this journey of discovery with her. That you're learning about it with her. Um, and it's all fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, the coolest part in the book comes near the end. And so, okay, we're getting into spoiler territories here. From this point out, I'll be talking about, uh, what happens in the Pacific, Pacific Island area and, um, some of the twists about what they're doing with dragon bone, why the, uh, imperialist nation is hunting, hunting dragons to extinction for their bone, what they're doing with it, you know, dragonstone, all that. So be warned, there'll be spoilers ahead. All right. So, in the islands, uh, they end up finding out that the Imperialist Nation is using Dragonbone and its lightweight but durable nature to create basically a sort of, um, I don't know, Zeppelin or hot air balloon or whatever you want to call it, um, airship, basically. And they're kind of lightweight and used for scouting, but they're really fast and can be used to drop bombs. Um, there's some intrigue with the uh, princess of her their country, who was being sent on an ambassador's mission, but has gotten separated. And uh, due to diplomatic reasons, they need to find her before the enemy nation who she was visiting finds her because of potential, um, we kind of owe you favors that could result from that. You know, an upper hand in negotiations, so-and-so. I didn't really follow that part. I wasn't really sure what they meant by that, but, you know... It seemed the kind of petty politic things that can happen. Uh, <laughs> it seemed like it was. So uh, if someone can confirm on that, that'd be nice. But anyway, meanwhile, in the fun stuff, <laughs> uh, Lady Trent is act- gets to go on a ride on a sea serpent, but ends up washing ashore from Forbidden Island they weren't supposed to visit after they got shipwrecked there. Uh, after they got shipwrecked on like one of the main islands. They weren't supposed to go to this Forbidden Island, though, or leave the island all, and while riding a sea serpent... With their permission, of course, they were swept there along with Zuhail. She's, you know, her, him and her are both swept there. And they find out that the Draconians, several of the statues that are commonly found there, have basically um, 
intentionally fossilized dragon eggs. Possibly unfertile, they're very unclear about that, but the, basically what it boils down to is they had a specific method of preserving dragon eggs in such a way that the fossil crystallized into this rare gemstone called Firestone. Uh, like, way more expensive than diamond. Uh, you know, a single piece could set a person for life and it's worth more than some estates kind of thing. Uh, and, it, you know, we found out, oh, it's in kind of an artificially created gem, or at least one whose natural process is so, you know, uncommon that makes sense that it's so rare. Uh, this is why the Draconian Empire was associated with them. They were the only ones who knew how to make it, or how to cause it to be made, potentially. So, you know, it's like, ooh, so what kind of dragons were these? What, what were their eggs? How did they do this? Were the eggs infertile? Was that why they turned like this? Or did they specifically use uh, fertile eggs and intentionally leave them here to fossilize? Were they supposed to be left here? This means they probably tamed dragons, that they were able to get a hold of a large quantity of dragon eggs. Um, and since these stones are really, really valuable, and they don't want them ripping apart ancient ruins that can tell us these secrets, they have they decide to leave it in secret. They manage to uh, take one of the eggs off, uh, passing it off as like a replica. And when they get back to the laboratory back in their home country uh, of Scareland, they basically use plastic casting methods to recreate what the embryo looked like. During before the fossilization, because all the bones have melted away, but they've left hollows where the bones used to be. And so they're able to replicate the dragon. And I'm going to identify it, it's this big overarching mystery, and I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to learn more about the Draconians and their desire to turn dragons into gemstones. How does this tie in with how they worked in the god? Now, I loved how they work together with, like, the archaeologist and the dragon biologist. They're both, like, so interested by the phenomenon that could revolutionize both their fields. Uh, and it's kind of funny, too, because he makes a big show in the beginning of being like, yes, I'm the kind of archaeologist that studies the everyday-to-day life, you know, the worker huts and the kind of tools they used and what they ate. And and then she's like, you know, I thought you studied the day-to-day life. It's like, yeah, but I'm not going to pass up a find about the very nature of their society and one of the overarching mysteries that's haunted us for decades. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all really exciting. And then we get a battle near the end. And she rides a sea serpent. And she makes this whole speech about, like, yeah, people really went overboard that. I was kind of just flailing from its nose while trying to get it to aim upward at the airship. But all the carvings that I've made have me, like, in a flowing dress, like, you know, hair perfect and everything like that, standing on its head proudly while it blasts it out of the sky. And she's like, that is not how it happened. Do not believe anyone who says that's how it happened. And I was just like, of course they did. Somebody riding a sea serpent and winning a battle as a result. Ugh, it, it, it's great. I love it. This entire book is like hitting so many of my sweet spots. I can't even tell you. Ugh. So yeah, great writing, fun characters, a genuinely interesting overarching mystery that pays off in some fascinating ways that you can clearly see coming all the way back to the first you were paying attention, but I did not expect it to undo like that. I mean, seriously, they turned Dragon Egg into some kind of, like, super diamond. I'm, ugh, I, I really want to know more about this. Like, is, is it a rare material potentially valuable if, like, in large quantities? Could it be a villain material? Or is it more of a, you know, just a pretty gemstone because it's rare? I just, why were they making it? How did they make it? Ugh, I cannot wait to read the fourth book. Highly recommend the series. Marie Brennan has knocked out of the park. She's on my radar now. I'm going to be checking out some other books from her if I get a chance. So, yeah. This has been my review of The Voyage of the Basilisk. 
Uh, easily one of the most entertaining books I've read all year, probably. Uh, you know, up there with Nice Dragons Finish Last, to be honest. Both of those are just, like, two extremes. One's, like, this historical fi- fiction. Uh, the other is, you know, this science, science fantasy kind of world. Uh, and you know what? I dig both. So, yeah. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and thank you for listening to The Dragon's Library. Please, subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. The Dragon's Library releases new episodes Tuesday and Friday each week, and you can follow us on Twitter at dragon underscore library two. If you want to suggest an episode topic, my email is in the description below. As always, thank you so much for all your support.